we are back. Pew, pew, pew. Back again. Welcome back, everyone. This is Watching Up Podcast. I'm Michelle. And I'm Rachel. Rachel and Michelle. <laughs> we are here today for a very special episode. Ooh, Ooh. I wonder what they're going to talk about. You already know what you the already tea is. know. So, word on the streets is that there's a new film by a little man known as Martin Scorsese. In the year of our Lord 2023, we've gotten a fresh Marty, and that's nothing, to, that's no small occurrence. That's no, that's a major event in our lives. <laughs> major, literally. And we could talk about this a little bit, but I feel like every time one of his movies has come out or I've seen a movie, it's like, it's an event. Yeah. He's an event filmmaker. And so when Killers of the Flower Moon dropped, you know we had to get there as soon as possible. We ran. <laughs> we ran for our lives. <laughs> so Martin Scorsese is how old? Let's see. He's 80, I think. He's 80 years old. He's about to be 81. In November, and he's still cranking out masterpieces. masterpieces. <laughs> like, oh, literally, like, true king status. Like, what more could you want from a man? Yeah, I could <laughs> so, not want any more. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. So, I saw the movie on Sunday, a Sunday matinee. Rachel saw it yesterday, Monday. Mm-hmm. And what did you think? What a delicious, delectable (laughs) piece of work (laughs) that we got to sink our teeth into. Not a delicious story, a quite unsavory story, but a really, Mm -hmm. like, incredible piece of work. A a film for the ages. (laughs) A work of art, for sure. Yeah. Um, what was like your screening like? What were the vibes? What okay, were- so as Michelle said, I went on a Monday. Um, mm-hmm. we this past weekend, me and my parents went to Dallas to visit my sister and her <laughs> husband. That's me. <laughs> and so I had bought the ticket as for as soon as I knew I would be free to go see it, and so um. I went midday because I, I took off some days this week just for trying to relax a little bit um, from work. So I went at like 2 p.m. on a Monday at Alamo Draft House, and it was pretty like there weren't that many people in the theater. Like there were a few people uh, sitting next to me, but it was a pretty like large theater, obviously, because it's like the uh, opening weekend or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'd say there was probably like 10 other people in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was nice that it wasn't like super packed and like yeah. I didn't have to like sit directly next to anybody or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and everyone there seemed like ready to roll. They were like, I'm ready to watch this three and a half hour thing. <laughs> I think it's like true cinephiles at a movie on a Monday at yeah. 2 p.m. Like, exactly. I think people took off the day to go yeah. see the new Martin Scorsese Exactly. Movie. I would so. say it was pretty ideal as far as like, 
you know, there are certain movies where you want to be in like a super packed theater and like have the mm-hmm. crowd interaction, but then there are some that it's like, it's not necessary. And so you're yeah. like, I just want to be able to sit back and relax and like watch this. I movie. was just thinking about that actually, as you said that, like, I feel like Marty is one of those filmmakers where the audience size or the audience reaction doesn't really, I mean, in my mind, my experience is never dictated by like how I watch the movies. Mm -hmm. It's, it's more like, Oh, I can have an experience with his work regardless of the scenario I'm in. Yeah. So I think that's, that's pretty insane. Yeah. I almost, I almost want to be kind of like insular, like when I'm watching his movies, like Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't want any kind of like external, like, I don't know, things going mm-hmm. on. I just want to be able to focus and form my opinions as I watch. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I've had a pleasant time viewing this film. What about you? Yes, we did too. We went on a Sunday at the at 1230, um, which was a good time because we, we went to Alma Draft House. We got some snickety snacks. Um, uh, we were on the third row, which at Alamo, I feel like is my favorite I was row third row because, too. It was perfect. Yeah, you get to lay back and there's no one behind you because it's like the last row of the first section. And then no one is really like walking in and out in front of you because there's not many people that choose the front <laughs> seats. There was an open seat next to me and on the other side of my husband. So that was nice. But there were quite a few people in the showing. I think more people were sitting in the back section. But it was kind of like there were a couple of moments in the movie that got a laugh, like a chuckle. Mm-hmm. But it also wasn't like a movie full of like laughs or yeah, jokes or like I was gonna bring that up too opportunities to like interact like vocally with the movie so it was pretty like quiet you could hear like a pin drop pretty much throughout the whole thing which I liked I was nervous that I was gonna get some bleed if like Taylor Swift was playing oh my next to it or something I didn't but even that didn't happen think about that I think the good people at Alma Draft House are smart and wouldn't like they respect place. because I did see people on Twitter saying like I watched this movie in the way you're supposed to with Taylor Swift coming through the walls or whatever (laughs) the faint sound of Taylor Swift in the distance there was like jokes but um yeah no it was a really good experience I definitely if you want to watch it I would highly recommend going to see it in the theaters Mm -hmm. and not waiting till it's streaming yes please but yeah let's I guess get into spoiler territory. Talk about performances, plot. Everyone, if you have not seen this movie, please go see it before you listen to us talk about it. Yeah, so um, the letterbox synopsis is pretty short. It just says, when oil is discovered in 1920s Oklahoma under Osage Nation land, the Osage people are murdered one by one until the FBI steps in to unravel the mystery. Um, this is very sinister. It's actually even more sinister than that in like <laughs> in practice, in real life. Um, how familiar were, were you with this story in general, if at all? I was honestly not familiar at all. Yeah, um, I'm either. not... It's based on a book by David Gran, who, based on, like, what I've read about him, like, doesn't really write books that I would necessarily, like, think to pick up as far as, like, just my interests and what I like in a book and stuff like that. Like, I don't read a lot of, like, 
historical nonfiction. nonfiction. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I wasn't super familiar with it and just like in the sense of like the history of it, um, I wasn't familiar, but, uh, I remember on, on our first episode of this podcast, when we talked mm-hmm. about the things we were looking forward to this year, yeah. this was on my list. And yeah. At that point in time, that was back in like February, I think. I was like, I honestly don't even know what this movie's about, but (laughs) I have to put a Martin Scorsese. Like, if he's coming out with a new movie, like, it's going to be on my list of top things I'm looking forward to. So, yeah, for sure. What Um, about you? Similar to you, but I think I first heard the name Killers of the Flower Moon when one of my friend's husbands was like talking about the book. And just saying, like, what a phenomenal book it was. Mm. And, like, oh, he thinks it's going to get turned into a movie or whatever. And it just, like, when he was talking about it, I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. But it definitely sounds like a boy book. Like, I don't know how else to, like, describe it. But it didn't seem like – I was, like – I wasn't, like, rushing out to, like, grab a copy. But he was, like, the story is so devastating and violent and, like, all this stuff. Yeah. Um, but then when I found out it was going to be Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio making the movie, I kind of like dug into the story a little more, just like the history behind it. And it's so interesting. And I think one part of the book that maybe didn't make as much of a splash in the movie is that the book is a lot about like how the FBI was formed Mm -hmm. in America. And they do show the FBI and like Jesse Plumins plays the FBI agent that kind of takes over the case. But it's not as much about that as he focuses way more on like the relationships of the people in this town in Oklahoma, Um, which I liked. I think that to me is more interesting than how the FBI was formed. (laughs) Yeah. And it feels like a more... It feels like a more undertold story and a more like important mm-hmm. thing to prioritize as far as like, you know, we have a lot of stories about the FBI, I feel like. And like, mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I'm glad to have had this opportunity to like learn a little bit more about the Osage Nation and all of that kind of stuff. For sure. Um, so basically Leonardo DiCaprio plays Ernest Burkhart. He is coming and at the beginning of the movie, he's coming home to the United States from World War One, which I didn't really like when the movie started, I might have missed a title card or something. I don't know if there was one, but I was trying to like kind of place in time when this was all taking place because I was kind of like, what war is he talking about? Mm-hmm. Like what like is this? like late 1800s early 1900s I couldn't really place it but um I found out later that it was like 1920 like early 1920s when he's like coming back from world war one yeah and I think Um, a a creative a creative like flourish that he used that helped help me to place it in time was kind of like the silent film style title mm -hmm. cards and um, imagery that he used of like telling giving some table setting as far as like where we are, what is going on with like this tribe and like all of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's a good point too. I thought of that. Like, I was like, it's probably, I was like, it's 1905 through 1925, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Like that's where I was like trying to like place it. Um, he arrives in Oklahoma um, 
to come meet with his uncle who I guess has said, oh, I have opportunities for you here if you want to like come live with me when you get back from war, basically. Uncle played by the great Robert De Niro, who... What can we say about Bobby? Just astonished me in this movie. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that Robert De Niro is a fucking good actor, but... (laughs) I, like he he's just so insanely so good, good in this and like putting on like a southern accent which I was like oh my God. I know it's funny <laughs> I was thinking like like immediately when he's talk he started talking in a southern accent I was it's so like subtle but also this month or earlier this month I watched JFK for the first time uh-huh. And it has Joe Pesci doing uh-huh. a Southern accent. And I was like, uh-huh. this feels weird. Like, <laughs> what like is happening? It? And then I saw Bobby De Niro, one of the great, you know, newer New York Italians <laughs> doing mm-hmm. a Southern accent. So what did you think? Did you think it felt weird or do you feel like he did a good job? Oh, I don't think it felt weird. Um I thought he did a good job. There was a little bit like you, he like went kind of in and out of his, I feel like his natural way of talking and like. I felt like his was way more subtle than what Leonardo DiCaprio was doing. And I kind of like, I thought at times Leo, not obviously Leo was very, very good in this. We talked about that too, but I was like, maybe it's a little over the top. Really? <laughs> I did, it didn't yeah. stand out to me very much. With the um, with just the twang, I guess. But I thought Robert De Niro's was like pretty like solid. Yeah, of, like, it was subtle oh, enough I... that like if he did go out of it, like it wasn't, it didn't take you out of like the character or anything like that. Yeah, for sure. Um. Um. So, anyways, you kind of when they they are having a discussion and he's kind of talking about um the Osage people ha- have like are own this land and they found oil on the land so kind of overnight they became like the richest people in the world and um so obviously white people had to move in and kind of get up for them (laughs) (laughs) and steal it away from them but obviously you know where the story's going but it's kind of you don't really know exactly how it's happening Mm -hmm. Um, until you get deeper into the story but you can kind of tell when I mean I could tell right away that Robert De Niro's character wasn't a good person yeah yeah he was um, um, he was he was uh portraying himself a little too much like a good person I mean like a very wolf in sheep's clothing type of character where he is doing all the right things in public and then behind the scenes in the shadows saying and doing terrible things. Can you Um, spot the wolves in this picture? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that's kind of the setup. Um, And then Leonardo DiCaprio meets uh, Lily Gladstone's character, who is a woman in the city, an Osage woman who has head rights, which just means like, um, they own part of the land that is they're getting all the oil off of, so they and she's pass full along. Blood Osage. Yeah, so they can pass along these rights to the land and to the wealth through their family and through their blood. And so you learn quickly that part of their grift is coming into the town, marrying Osage women and Osage men, and kind of breeding out. I guess that. Um, part of 
their legacy um, and taking their head rights from them and their family wealth. And it's literally awful, (laughs) disgusting, devastating. And um, so Lily Gladstone and Leonardo DiCaprio fall in love and get married. And then chaos ensues. (laughs) Yeah. What we always knew was coming. Do you have thoughts about like the three, I guess, lead performances? I had never seen Lily Gladstone in anything. Me either. And she like is a star. Like, I don't know what else to say. Like, she was so amazing in this movie. Mm-hmm. In a um in a part that is like just just the way that like the story of her character uh is like she spends a lot of time I'll just say she spends a lot of time sick in bed so she's not mm-hmm. in it like a ton mm-hmm. um but she made like her performance made the biggest impact on me coming out of yeah. the film I feel like I was just so struck by how how you can come into a movie and be in like one-on-one scenes with Leonardo DiCaprio like a true seasoned movie star and like you're stealing the scenes right like I was like wow that she is like a powerhouse right um and in a such a subtle performance too like she wasn't doing anything huge or like yelling or like there wasn't like huge moments of like outbursts of like emotion or anything but like there was so much going on like inside Mm -hmm. and you could see that through her performance yeah I think that's just so so difficult to pull off so yeah and it like kind of that like balance of or that what you just said about like Leo being so seasoned and her kind of at least to us being a, a bit of a newcomer and it's kind of like it it kind of mirrors the characters in themselves because it's kind of like a power balance between them where it's like she's the one who technically holds the power because she has all the money and she's mm-hmm. kind of like making the decisions for herself but at the same time it's like who really has the power is yeah. it the white man or you know <laughs> this this indigenous woman it's kind of and it's almost like the whole time, you know, I mean, she, you know, she's smart enough to know that this is what people are after. And like, yeah, they have to, like, she knows protect it themselves. the whole time. And she has suspicions about everybody, including her husband. But I think it's more of the story of, like you said, a power struggle where she's kind of thinking, oh, I know that part of this is what he's looking for, but I'm smart enough to like make sure that doesn't happen Mm -hmm. and he's kind of he's almost just so dumb that he's kind of being manipulated by his uncle Mm -hmm. and I mean I don't think he's dumb enough to be completely absolved of any wrongdoing obviously he does terrible awful things and like I don't think I mean you just can't be like oh I didn't know Mm -hmm. when you do know um but also it's kind of like that 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 sense of he feels indebted in some way to his family and like just something he has to do or he feels like he's like putting his life in danger maybe. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it was just like an interesting dynamic to explore. And I don't think that Scorsese like 
I mean, first of all, there are people online talking about like, is this a white savior movie? Mm-hmm. It's literally the opposite. Yeah. It's a white devil movie. <laughs> um, but like Scorsese, Scorsese doesn't really make movies about heroes. <laughs> like every single movie I think is kind of, um, what's the word? Like, look at what humans will do for money and power. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like, there's no limit to, like, the depravity Mm -hmm. of the human, like, existence. Like, you know. Um, And so. He doesn't glamorize it to a level. Like, there are movies that where he glamorizes those characters Mm -hmm. much more than he he does in this movie. Right. But I don't think he ever really glamorizes it to a level where it's not meant to be also interrogated you know like yeah um so like goodfellas is like a good example of a movie where like the bad guys are kind of like the ones you're rooting for in the movie yeah like you know and it's kind of fun and it's kind of like oh i hope they get away with this and they're funny and like it's kind of more of a I guess a wacky representation of what like organized crime was like in America, but this is not that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never like, oh, doesn't this look fun? Like it's more right. like, oh, aren't these people evil? Kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. So that's my yeah. That's kind of how I feel about that whole discourse as well. And I think that. Another another thing that people have been talking about is just the way that maybe it's a little bit more focused on the white characters rather than on the Osage characters, um, mm-hmm. to which I would just say, you know, and a lot of people have said this before, but, you know, Marty can't tell a story from the perspective of an Osage character because mm-hmm. he's not <laughs> Osage. So mm-hmm. it's just like... I feel like that decision was um, intentional and like, I don't think it was uh, trying to take away from the importance of their story or anything like that, but just being able to tell a story that does it justice while also uh, not co-opting it, I guess. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm saying that well, but. No, yeah, (laughs) I think so. And to be fair, like, we obviously are kind of the lens with which we're viewing everything is from a white and privileged, like, lens. So, like, we can't, like, look at this and say, oh, this represented these people well because we're not part of that group of people. So I think for people that are Native American or are of Osage lineage, like, if they see this and they have a bad reaction to it, then I think that's completely fair, Valid. too. Yeah. Valid. Yeah, exactly. But um, at the end of the day, he kind of, Martin Scorsese in this movie does something that was so visceral in kind of, like, um, implicating himself as part of the problem. Oh my God. When we can kind of talk about that, like at, the, <laughs> like at the end of the movie. Shook me. All these things have like gone on. Like the, the FBI has arrested people for these murders. Um, and there, it kind of cuts to a old fashioned, like radio special hour where they're like actually live recording. Called, like, yeah, it's a live recording. Um, sponsored by lucky strike and the um, fbi 
and the FBI. <laughs> and apparently this was like a real, real like radio hour that happened. And um, it was part of J. Edgar Hoover trying to like publicize what the FBI is and what they right. do and um, kind of get All the great things they accomplished people <laughs> on board with it. Yeah. Um, so there's kind of a dramatic reading of the story of these murders and the people that got arrested and what the F how the FBI found out what they were doing and like, where are they now type of thing? Yeah. It served as like the epilogue. Like you would typically see like text on screen being like, mm -hmm. this character ended up doing this and they died on this day and with, you know, whatever. But it was so, it's such a creative way to just like, so creative. And so basically at the beginning they're like and this is like a true crime like for entertainment hour much like we still do today we're watching dateline we're listening to true crime podcast we're seeing killers of the flower moon to get like the historical you know context for these stories but we're also kind of in a sadistic way like enjoying like these stories and mm -hmm. being like oh my god they did what it's almost like gossiping with Gossip, your friends spilling like, the tea and then what happened <laughs> yeah so he he's does this and then at the end he gets up to read molly burkhart who is lily gladstone's um character her um obituary and it kind of hit martin scorsese himself gets up yeah. on screen to as read himself it. yeah as himself <sighs> which I, had I mean he's been in his He's been in his movies before, but not in this kind of capacity, I would say. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he reads her her um, obituary and it's kind of like, and the the murders of her whole family like were never mentioned. Mm -hmm. And like, oh, I got chills because he's just like, like by doing that, you know, he knows his role in like what their story is like mm -hmm. my role as a white man is to tell this story and yes I understand like people are viewing it as entertainment and um that could be a bad thing mm -hmm. <laughs> like you know like like I he's not here to say like he is doing the right thing he just knows that he wants people to know about them mm -hmm. so I got chills I had I full chills body chills about it. yeah <laughs> like it was so like like I've been thinking about it ever since. Yeah. Um, I got this was one of the I think this was one of the parts where I was kind of like missing a crowd experience because I felt like I was like reacting to things at the yeah. at, during the scene where like nobody else around me was like you know, I couldn't like turn to my right and be like, oh my God. But mm -hmm. um, I was like chuckling when I saw Jack White on screen. I was like, okay, Jack White was here. And then <laughs> I like gasped when Marty came up. I was just like, are yeah. you guys seeing this? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like had, I think I kind of spoiled it for myself on Twitter because I saw, I saw a screenshot of like, Martin Scorsese like sitting next to Lee Gladstone I think he was just directing her in that shot but I thought that was like gonna be in the movie for some mm. reason like somebody on the timeline had said like oh the way that Martin Scorsese like implicates himself at the end of the movie is astonishing or something mm -hmm. and I was mm -hmm. like wait what like I like uh, I was so okay. curious to see like how this was gonna come about mm -hmm. um so but like the way it happened like I could have never 
written that in a million years. Like, yeah, it was so brilliant. Um, Agreed. I did not. I did not see it coming at all, and I was like, yeah. it took me a second. Like whenever, because it it just like kind of uh, su- suddenly cuts to like a audience cheering, or I don't know if it goes to black and you hear the sound first or whatever, but. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of like, oh, okay, we're in like a new scene or whatever. Like, I don't know what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. And then it all kind of like started making sense. And I was like, oh my God, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this yeah. is so crazy. Like you, it's just, I feel like it's so hard to do something that is that creative anymore. Like, you know, it's like, yeah. I can't believe this it's hasn't It's hard to been, shock people. Yeah, it's hard to shock days. people. Yeah, um, and that was shocking. Yeah, I agree. And I think that it was a really, yeah, just everything you said about him, like implicating himself was so effective and probably important to him. And this is a man who is like the greatest, one of the greatest living filmmakers. And he knows that his like time is coming probably to a close at some point soon. Yeah, I mean, fingers crossed. Knock on wood, but it's gonna live forever. <laughs> no rain shall fall on Marty, but um, it's just kind of like you could tell that he's talked about how like this is a story that he's been wanting to tell for like years and years, and like mm-hmm. he wanted it to be just right. And I mean, who knows if it's his last movie? He maybe he says that, but like who knows? Um, but. When it's a, a director like Marty, like the last thing you make is it matters, you know, like mm-hmm. it's going to be it's you're going to be remembered forever. So it's like, yeah, um, I don't know. I just could never imagine having that sort of pressure on me. <laughs> and like the fact that we don't have I've never had like a doubt that he was going to mess it up. <laughs> like, no, you know, for like, sure. like ever since I knew this was coming out, I was like. I mean, people are going to have opinions about it, but like at the end of the day, I feel like it's going to be a banger. And it really was like paced in a very, to me, in a very similar, in a very Martin Scorsese way. Oh, interesting. The the three and a half hours, which people are talking about the runtime too, like flew by to me. Like I didn't feel any minute of the movie Mm -hmm. like that I felt like was dragging. Um. There are, I thought there were a lot of parallels between his like kind of like seedy dudes in rooms talking and like that type of vibe mm-hmm. to where I was like, this to me is class, like what he does best. And mm-hmm. he's like sticking to it. Like, what do you think about that? Are you asking me? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were just saying in general. <laughs> what do you think about that? Um, yeah. I, I think that it's interesting that you say the pacing was classic because that's the one thing that I feel like was a little bit different for him in this movie um, because it was so patient, I guess, and very like just very kind of mannered. And what I expect from like a Martin Scorsese film is like just electricity, like everyone's moving so fast, like everything is kind of happening all at the same time and we're going between scenes and all of that kind of stuff like just the speed of light kind of thing and this mm-hmm. was very much more uh on the kind of quiet side and that obviously has to do with like Martin's directing but also the Thelma Schoonmaker I think is her name mm-hmm. his editor mm-hmm. who he always works with um it's it's just kind of like 
I don't know. I don't. I want. I want. Don't want to say it's like her style to be like so quick cutted because I don't know. But um, this. What I'm trying to say is that this movie just felt a lot more. Like the scenes were a lot longer. That they they were a lot quieter, and it just felt like a lot more patient. Is the only word that I can think to describe it. Um, I think like it felt. To me, it felt paced similarly to something like The Wolf of Wall Street, but the the content of the scenes was much different, mm-hmm. I guess, is what I'm trying to say. It wasn't like quick zoom in, screaming, like doing cocaine. Like It yeah. wasn't like that, but the way they move from scene to scene to scene, like it felt very, I guess, within the same rhythm yeah. as those other movies and that's why I felt like it didn't drag in any at any point. I don't think anyone at this point should be shocked that a Martin Scorsese film is two is three and a half hours. Like Yeah. It's just what it is. <laughs> like I mean you yeah, watch I guess the my Irishman. point is Yeah, I guess my point is like I mean, for example, I loved Oppenheimer. But there was, like, moments where I was like, okay, there's still an hour. <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. there's, like, there, like I feel like I could feel the length at points. And, like, during this movie, I think I was just, like, glued to every, like, word that mm-hmm. everybody was saying. So I didn't really think about how long it was, I yeah. guess, within the experience. It builds a little more towards the end. Than something like Oppenheimer, I feel like, because we're building towards like the bomb exploding and then it right. explodes like an hour and a, whatever, an hour in, and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. now what are the rest of the two hours for? Like, yeah. Right. Um, for sure. But yeah, I agree. I, I I texted you beforehand. I was like, is there a good time to pee just in case I need yeah, to? Yeah, I was like, not really. <laughs> but I didn't pee the whole time. Yeah. I was like, but I'm not drinking water. There wasn't really like a part where I would have said, oh, you're not going to miss something if you go. Yeah, like, you it's, know, it would be hard to like scene, pick out a time to. Every like moment of dialogue like really contributed to mm-hmm. the end. Um, so. As far as the supporting, there was a lot of supporting roles, obviously, within this movie. Were there any standouts to you? Ooh, I really liked um, her sister, Anna. Let me get the actor's name. She was on mine. Um, Kara Jade Myers. Anna played by, what was her name? Kara Jade Myers. Kara Jade Myers, yeah. Um, I thought she was really good. She was one of the kind of side characters that I was the most interested in like knowing her story you know like I would uh I want to see like what she does on her free Mm -hmm. time she's kind of like the more like party girl like vivacious just kind of firecracker type of character and no um, she like she was like um what do you what's a good word for it she was a free spirit yeah she was a free spirit what about you um loved her I really did love her um I thought I'm trying to find his name there was a guy that oh well I thought the guy that played Kelsey Morrison mm-hmm. I'd seen was, him before he's in other he was in the Irishman um he reminds me of um the lead singer of all American rejects <laughs> Who's also yeah. in movies sometimes. <laughs> yeah, he 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 also kind of has a um, 
uh, Schwartzman face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does I look mean, like a Schwartzman. I thought I was like, for a second, I was like, is that Jason Schwartzman? But it's not. But he was good. I really liked him. And he had one of the only, like, LOL moments I felt like in the movie. Um, I don't know if your theater laughed, but I mean, it's kind of like uh, a dark laugh, but he's kind of like asking a lawyer if like he adopts these like kids and then murders them if he would get like the money he's like bluntly asking a lawyer and the lawyer's like uh (laughs) so are you asking me because this sounds like you're about to adopt two kids and then kill them yeah (laughs) yeah that got a laugh for sure (laughs) yeah um who else i really liked uh i thought that jesse plummins was good in his role it was a smaller role than i thought he was gonna have Mm -hmm. but i thought he played it well i love him so Uh, much i love him i want to see him in everything i was thinking about like i can't wait to see like what he gets his oscar for because he will be getting one it's inevitable (laughs) it's inevitable um okay there's been some discourse around the <laughs> Brendan Fraser performance <laughs> as um, um a lawyer <laughs> as yeah William King Hale's lawyer um thoughts <laughs> I was like is this what they were going for like is this what he was meant to do it just felt a little bit out of place okay. to me <laughs> A hundred percent we're on the same page. I said the exact same thing. That was the only part of the whole movie where I like was like taken out of it. Yeah. Like, cause I was like, what is he doing? He was but going hard. I was reading. I mean, there are people like defending it saying like he was like proselytizing or like, what do you, what, what's the right word? Like, you know, when like lawyers, like oh. when lawyers have to get up and like make a big scene. Right. Um, which I get, but no, I didn't. Maybe prognosticating, but John Lithgow was doing the same thing, and I thought he did it in a way that like fit within the movie. Yeah, um, it felt like they were trying to kind of like harken back to like old timey court, like yeah. dramas. Like I don't know, like Mr. Smith yeah. goes to Washington is like the first one that comes to mind because that's like a big performance, but just like. Yeah, just getting up and um, I can't think of the word either, but he like he like rises into the frame. Yeah. And then like yeah. and delivers it's almost this. edited in a way that felt like different than the rest of the movie. Like, yeah, this camera was kind of like spinning around him. Or yeah. Something, like. From like below and like, yeah, it was almost kind of like a dun dun dun. Here's Brendan Fraser. Like, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know. I didn't love it. Um, but I think I'm not- that the the first the first scene of him in the courtroom worked a little bit better for me than the scene of them like in the private room talking Interesting. with all the different wolves in the room the wolves in the picture uh, i just um, felt like it was more out of place there i don't think either worked for me i didn't think he <laughs> I didn't, looked i don't like think he, either worked i didn't think he looked more. like he belonged in that time period i don't know he was still I think in his need, whale era i think he was <laughs> I, it was giving the whale like a movie that i actively hated um so for that reason i wasn't a fan but 
that doesn't make that doesn't the half star I took off wasn't because of that. Yeah. Um it wasn't it wasn't it enough, wasn't enough for to, me to like the throw movie. the whole movie yeah. out. Like, you know, <laughs> it was literally he literally had two lines. Right. Um but yeah, that was that's a funny piece of discourse and it's funny that like a, such a small performance within the movie is getting like that much attention. Yeah. Um, I did think John so, Lithgow was good. Yeah, he was good. Um, um, and there was also a character who we later found out was working for the FBI, but we didn't really know. Like when he was introduced, he was like trying to buy the farm or something. Mm-hmm. I think that was w- uh, William Bellow. Oh, he was also in uh, Twilight. Um, Twilight? Or he was in Eclipse. I think that was him. Wait, let me look. Yeah. Henry Roan, is that the character? No, that was the guy. That was the guy that was suicidal, wasn't it? He was good too. Henry was the yeah, the guy who was a melancholic. Um are you thinking of S- Scott Wren? Or John Wren? There was a guy who was working with the FBI. That was part that was like a Native American man. His name is Tatanka Means. Yeah, he was cool. There was a tweet that was like, totally not the point of the movie, but this guy looked cool as fuck. He was hot. <laughs> just a <laughs> Is he the one you said was in Eclipse? No, the the guy that was melancholy was in oh, Eclipse. Okay, or according to his letterbox, it was. Oh, I remember him. Yeah, that makes sense now. Okay. Um. Yeah, there, there's a lot of... Like, I literally think everybody in this movie was good. Um, There was a part of the movie towards the very beginning where um, uh, Ernest is kind of going, like, riding to his uncle's house. Mm -hmm. And it kind of pans out in, like, a drone type of shot where it shows, like, the fields of Oklahoma and, like, all of the oil rigs and all the farmhouses and all the animals and it's such a beautiful scene Mm -hmm. and I was like I literally when I saw that I was like oh that's why this movie cost 200 million dollars for sure because they literally built this yeah the practical (laughs) effects like this this city that doesn't exist anymore that used to exist they like remade it yeah which is just it's just like crazy to me to think about doing that. <laughs> I love <laughs> like it. doing that, making something that grand in scale for a movie is, yeah. is really cool to think about. Also, um, learned I that it was call- the same oh. set designer that did uh, "There Will Be Blood." Oh, that makes I thought of that movie so many times during this. So one. <laughs> um, um, that makes total sense. I also want to call out one of my favorite elements of this movie, which is. My boy Robbie Robertson's score, uh-huh. I thought was mwah, chef's kiss. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever yeah, truly, there's like a short scene at the beginning of them, like it's like a I don't know, like an Osage ceremony or something where they're mm-hmm. burying like the hatchet. Um, but right after that, we get the. The oil erupting from the ground mm-hmm. and the slow the motion. Thing we saw in the trailer. Yeah, there, like, it's in the trailer. Yeah. The slow motion of the Osage like dancing in the oil, and then the Robbie Robertson uh, score drops, and I was like, "Okay, baby, I'm in." I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah. so good. 
And so it, what is his history? Like who tell me about this? So he is <laughs> he was in the band, which uh-huh. is a band from like the 60s and 70s. Uh-huh. And um he was he was like the kind of creative head of the band. Like he did most of the writing and like all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and I think Marty was just like a big fan of the band. And so who else was in the band? Is it like made up of famous people? No, I, other than Robbie, I don't think it's like a. It's not like a traveling it was Wilbury like a situation. Yeah, I thought it was like a collection of no, like. No, so musicians. so Scorsese did a documentary about their last live performance together called "The Last Waltz," and that featured a lot of like other artists they came through and like did performances during that show gotcha um so we had like neil young Joni mitchell bob dylan like basically everyone who mattered at the time was like Mm -hmm. sure i'll come play a song for you um and so i think that's kind of how their relationship like started between Mm -hmm. marty and robbie and he they were good friends. So does he do, has he done scores for other movies? Yeah. Or is this, okay. He has. For Martin Scorsese movies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And now I know. he sadly passed away recently. So this, I don't know if it's officially his last work, but it's going to be one of his last. So. Yeah. 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 It, it bangs. It bangs. <laughs> it rips. It rips. <laughs> Um, okay, I guess the final question or two questions. Where first, where does this film fall for you in the canon of Martin Scorsese works? That's a really good question. I actually have I have lists on my letterbox, not that anyone cares, but I have like rankings. Sophia <laughs> Coppola does not care, but I care. <laughs> I have made ranking lists of like directors who I've seen like a good amount mm-hmm. of their movies so I can rank them. Mm-hmm. So I have a Scorsese ranking. I was and, gonna do my top five, but I didn't. Um Obviously, these can all change. Like, there's some that I haven't rewatched in a while, so, like, whatever. Your number one has to be It's Goodfellas. Goodfellas, Goodfellas yeah. is, one of, is, like, my number one favorite movie of all time. When I think so. of Goodfellas, I think of Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> Far back as Synonymous. I can remember. She wanted to be a gangster. Um, I have it at number four right now. Oh! Which is high. That is high. But so here's the thing. I gave, we could talk about our ratings of it. I gave it four and a half stars and a heart. Yeah, same, same, same. And the four three, stars and a heart. The three I have in front of it are number one, Goodfellas, number two, Taxi Driver, number three, Wolf of Wall Street, which are all five star movies to me. Yeah. So, okay. So I feel like we have it ranked pretty similar because I'm just doing this in my head. Um, my number one is Wolf of Wall Street. I love that movie. Yeah. I think it's perfect. And I think all the performances are perfect. Such a, it's like, I don't know if I want to make that broad of a statement, but I was going to say like, it has the most like consistent like good performances throughout it with as many performances as it has they're Mm -hmm. all like so good 
They're so good. And I feel like I'm interested. I was so interested in that story of like, this is like a gangster movie, but a white collar gangster movie. For finance bros. (laughs) For finance bros. These people that get away with literally highway robbery on a daily basis. Like I love Marty's takedown of Wall Street. So (laughs) there we go. We stay. That's probably number one. Number two. Ooh, this is going to be hard. I freaking loved the king of comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I might put that at number two. Okay. Um, I think that's probably my favorite De Niro performance I've ever seen. Okay, um, yeah. Three is probably... Oof, God. <laughs> this is hard. <laughs> Uh, this is a, probably an unpopular decision, but Shutter Island. Ooh, girl, you got to Shutter Island. Be who you I gotta are. I got to speak my truth. Speak I your gotta truth. Be who I am. <laughs> it's a scary, spooky thriller, and I love the ending. Um, I haven't watched that in so long. It's it's really good. It's really scary. Like. There are scenes in that that like haunt me. Like yeah, I still I'm surprised think about I saw it. it. <laughs> Literally, the part with Michelle Williams like murdering her children. Like I think about it all the time. Oh my gosh. Um, four. <sighs> Goodfellas. Thank God. <laughs> five. Killers of the Flower Moon. Okay. My number five is just for the record, <laughs> is After Hours, which I just saw for the and first I time fairly to recently. To be fair, I haven't seen a few. Taxi Driver is also up there. I'd probably put it at six as of now. Yeah. I have King me. of Comedy at six. I mean, this man has directed like over 50 films, so I've seen it's like hard, and, a and fraction of those. Yeah. Like, I don't know if there's any, I mean, have you seen, I don't know if there's any I will put on and say that was trash. Like, I don't I don't think, think I like, I, I don't, don't see that. I remember not liking Hugo, but that's. I haven't watched Hugo, one. but you don't like animated. Is it animated? Yeah. Is it not? <laughs> I think it's like both. It's like half. It's yeah. like um, <laughs> Polar Express. Yeah, it's like a, that Zemeckis bullshit. I haven't seen that. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen Hugo. I haven't seen After Hours. I haven't seen Raging Bull. I haven't seen a lot. Like I'm, I still have a lot of work to do. I haven't seen The Aviator, which I don't think I would put that in my top, but you never know. I haven't seen The Aviator um, either. Um. Okay, second question, and then we have to go. Okay. <laughs> Last question. How do we think this movie will do at the Oscars? Uh, I don't know. Like, I feel like my my default is always to just be, like, optimistic for the movies I like. So <laughs> I'm always, yeah. like, I just want to manifest good things for them. Yeah. I, think, I think it has a chance – for like performances lily gladstone i think will for sure be nominated i think it'll be nominated Um, quite a bit yeah i hope that like i hope ravi robertson could get an oscar that would be cool that'd be awesome i would like even want marty to get a second one i know i'm nervous (laughs) maybe 
I we can't. Maybe we should <laughs> hope that he doesn't get this one so that he could keep working. <laughs> well, they're already working on the wager. Yeah. So. Keep making movies. Uh, <laughs> keep making movies. <laughs> <laughs> work, Marty. Um, work. I think. I think that uh, Thelma should get an editing Oscar. Yes. I think that. I don't know if there's a set design. Is that a category? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I don't know. That really struck me. Like, that was the first time I ever... Production design. Production design. That was the first time I ever remember being in the movie. But I mean, Barbie will probably get that. Yeah. That's the thing Um, is, like, honestly, we've we've been blessed this year. And there's still more to come. So I have a feeling that when they announce, like, the 10 Best Picture nominees, I'm going to be like stoked because i'm gonna like them all yeah um so we will see we will see oppenheimer's gonna be i mean leo could be getting his second oscar too we don't know we didn't really talk about leo's performance yeah he was like he was so good i I looked at one point i looked at my husband i just said he's a fucking amazing actor like i don't know he's a chameleon like he literally he was not attractive he was n- in no way, shape, or form like k- charismatic in this movie. He had like, some fake character. teeth. I feel like it's hard to. He was act like hunched over with fake teeth. <laughs> he had like a weird posture. Yeah, he and had a frown. Weird, his face was like permanently like distorted. Like, yeah, but he made it look natural, natural. somehow. Like that's how he lives. <laughs> And I, I just so don't much. understand how a person can accomplish the things <sighs> that he does. I know. Um, he's the greatest. He's the greatest of actor of our generation. There you have it. And it's <laughs> not changing anytime soon. Um, but I don't oh. know, Killian. We got Killian there. <laughs> <laughs> He was also very good. I do think though um, that like history cannot history cannot maintain that Leo's only Oscar is gonna be for the Revenant. That's, so that's what that's my point. It's like I would much rather have him get an Oscar for something he like will. this. He will than the Revenant. Yeah. So should have got it for the Wolf of Wall Street. It's just yeah, that's that's the thing is like again, we want to manifest good things for the movies we like, but like we liked so many we've liked so many movies so far this year so and it's hard <laughs> to like that's why awards are so like subjective because it's like you're putting a movie like Barbie up against a movie like Killers of the Flower Moon they're completely mm-hmm. opposite ends of the spectrum yeah. but they both have their merits and they deserve to be awarded like you know right. so we shall see <laughs> we shall see any last thoughts? Anything you want to get off your chest? <laughs> Just, I love you, Marty. Like, you have been with me throughout my whole, like, movie-loving experience. I will say, and- too, he's the first... Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm, wor- I'm working on that. <laughs> Keep going. He is... Well, I don't know if this is what you were about to say, but... He was the first director that, like, their his movies, like, 
meant something to me. And he's the first director where I could like recognize like, this is a Martin Scorsese movie and I'm into this. <laughs> like, That's exactly what I was going to say. He's the director that made me realize what a director is. Yeah, and, and an auteur. And, like, made me aware of directors. <laughs> like, yeah. that is crazy. Like, before, I mean, there's, there's a point, I guess, in every, like, film lover's life where you kind of, like, become aware of like oh this isn't just something I'm watching it it exists in a place where people like made this yeah and like um yeah he's the first person I remember being like oh I'm a fan of Martin Scorsese's movies right and that was the only that was the only director I could say that about same and I think Um, that's a lot of people's experience and that's kind of he's like kind of special in that way like he can mm-hmm. be an entry point for so many people, but at the same time, like there's nothing basic about his movies at all. Mm-hmm. And um, he, like we've said, like he's made so many movies. He's made so many movies in so many genres. It's like mm-hmm. no one has like a breadth of work like he does. Nobody does it like Marty. What do you want me to say? Nobody does it like Marty. <laughs> and nobody makes TikToks like him either. No. <laughs> he's a king of all. <laughs> forms of, of entertainment all, all mediums <laughs> all platforms yes all right we love you marty we thanks love for you. another great installation in your oeuvre <laughs> oeuvre yeah <laughs> heart heart hands <laughs> Let us know what you think about Killers of the Flower Moon. If you saw it, what your experience was, whose performances you liked, what you didn't like, your criticisms. We want to know it all. Yeah. Let us know. Let us know. Follow us on social and email us. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, everybody. Love ya. See you next time. Love ya. Bye. No, no. That's all I have to say.